Hi everyone, and welcome back to the Hockey Journey Podcast. Episode number 65, the Chris Hansen Time on the Water Hockey Journey. Presented to you by OnlineHockeyTraining.com. I'm your host, Coach Lance Petling. If you're new here, please make sure you subscribe so you won't miss out on any future episodes. Before we load up the tackle, jump on the boat, and begin this conversation, if you want to learn more about me, my hockey experiences, what I know, and most importantly, how I've been helping hockey players get really good with a stick and puck, just head on over to OnlineHockeyTraining.com and gain instant access to my 10-part video series where I'll show you everything. Consider it my gift to you. Lastly, if you live in Minnesota or are visiting the state of hockey sometime soon and you want to schedule an in-person off-ice stick skills lesson, I'd love to have the opportunity to show you my little world. Go to SweetHockeyCoach.com, that's SweetHockeyCoach.com, and watch the video on the homepage for instructions. Thanks, and I look forward to working with you sometime soon. My next guest is probably someone you've never heard of, but he's been my best friend since I've met him back in 1979, and he's definitely got a journey and a story to tell. It's one that includes hockey, fishing, dogs, two critical periods in his life where he almost died twice, the second and most recent landed him in the ICU in a coma hooked up to every monitoring and life-saving device available to keep his heart beating. You'll hear his story of recovery from a traumatic brain injury and how it manifested through a lot of sweat equity and passion into a nonprofit where Mr. Hansen and his band of love-giving gypsies are providing fishing trips and experiences for military veterans, first responders, police and fire, as well as teachers and healthcare workers since 2015. If that wasn't enough, Chris is a realtor by trade and gives back 25% of his commissions to our hero clients, close to the tune of $200,000 over the last five years. Chris and his partners Mike Farrell and Katie Lavender do all the fundraising for Time on the Water so our heroes get to have these fishing excursions at no cost to them. We provide a unique on-the-water experience where our heroes come to reflect and share camaraderie is their mission statement, and it's a good one. That's a wrap on the intro, and it's time to drop a line on the water. So ladies and gentlemen, please help me in welcoming Chris Hansen to the show. H-Man, welcome to the Hockey Journey Podcast. Thanks, Lance, and thanks for asking me to be on this, and um, looking forward to muddling through my uh, my journey with you. So hopefully it goes well, but I'm excited for it. Yes. Well, as people will find out later, you have a brain injury, so we're going to give you a little latitude. <laughs> uh, so I want to uh, kind of set the show up because uh, you and I have known each other since fifth grade, uh, 1979, and uh, it came at a kind of a difficult point in time in my life. And it's funny how those, you know, challenging times in our life, um, we've leaned on each other um, heavily at times. And but anyway, so we, we met when we were then when my, my parents got divorced, uh, right at the end of the school year, uh, going for fourth grade. And so I was, we moved in with my grandparents and from Blaine, Minnesota, we went over to New Hope, Minnesota uh, that summer. And you were the first person that I met and our friendship began. Um, we were, it's been in and out, but it's been constant. And 
the best part is is that the you know the last least couple decades has been uh, really solid so um, let's begin there this new guy comes to New Hope Minnesota and we become pals and your family basically just took me in as one of their own yeah I, I mean we talked a little bit ago about you know what was the exact meeting point in time but I just remember being in 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 class with our teacher Mr. Wayne me you and Ross Larson sitting together and constantly doing every single thing together, whether it was a, in, in a group study or recess or whatever. Um, so that just came to me. I know we were just talking about that before we started the process. But um, and then um, I think we were kind of attached at the hip for. Uh, yeah, for a long time. I mean, I can remember uh, always asking my mom and dad if it was OK if Lance came up to the cabin and there, it, there was like, stop asking us. He's part of it let's go tell them tell them we're picking them up so it was kind of one of those things i think it was more of a brother brother the brother relationship which was uh, probably don't really look at that uh when we're in that but when i look back on it it's like what is it we're 50 we're in our 50s now uh is that 40 40 years 45 years we've been uh attached i guess so yeah um so yeah, that's that's what it is. I think it was every everything we were doing together at all. We're we're so like minded, I guess. So that's what I would remember. <laughs> it's you you brought up our fifth grade teacher, Mr. Wayne, and I have no idea why I remember this, but he brought you and I and I think Ross, you know, into a room or you know over into a corner, because he must have saw something. And he said, "Tell us." He says, "There's three." There's three things in this life right now. There's school, or there's family, there's school, and there's girls. And he says you can only have two of them. Yep. <laughs> and I don't know what that was, but I, I still remember it, so it must have made an impact. Uh, you mentioned going to a cabin. You know, I spent a lot of time there. That's where I learned how to, to water ski and um, fish, which is a, another passion you and I have always done uh, together and we're currently on the, the back end of a, a trip up at uh, Lake of the Woods staying at a resort called Rod and Reel, Soon Arrows, uh, Ontario. Chan and his sister Allison, uh, great spot, little piece of heaven. So uh, one thing that you said, you know, I, I was this part of your family is, you know, I got so many firsts with you guys. I never had a dog. You know, you talked about uh, sport and Molly, you know, and now we got Jojo here and Mac, you know, all the dogs through the years. But uh, I never left really Minnesota. I mean, I've been to Wisconsin at that time, never went to Canada. And you guys brought me down to Florida yep, <laughs> on spring break that. all these years. What do you remember yeah. about that? I remember going out deep sea fishing. <laughs> I just looked at those pictures <laughs> the other couple weeks ago. Um, the guy that, um, I can't remember his last name, but his wife was uh, in Mary Kay with my mom. And uh, the guy that took us out was actually a helicopter pilot in Vietnam. And uh, I remember we went out, and who knows what we fished for? I couldn't remember. We're uh, we were we were on the water for half a day or something like that. One of those big boats, and I just know that those all the baits and uh, the the poles, everything was huge. But down there in the shot of catching a shark or a whale, we were thinking. And um, but yeah, that that's uh, 
that's one of the things I remember about uh, going down to Florida. And then the drive down, we drove down, if you remember, with uh, Dick Lennar as my dad and and my brother uh, and you. We drove <laughs> we drove down there in a day. That was a long it was a long car ride. It seemed like, but it was uh, well worth it. So, but yeah, traveling Wilburys, traveling yep. Wilburys. So one thing that to get on this hockey podcast, you have 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 to have some hockey in your life and. That was our, our initial passion that kind of bonded us uh, together was hockey. And uh, we talked about how your, your parents, my, my mom was uh, newly divorced and she was working two jobs just to be able to provide us uh, the ability to, to play sports. So your family would be ones that you know, would take me to games and pick me up for practices if my mom wasn't around. Um, but was what was unique is that you and I never were on the same hockey team. Your dad uh, coached me, uh, but we weren't on the same hockey team, and that I didn't even really realize that, and you know how giving your family was until I started thinking about it, you know, recently. Yeah, I think because uh, I'm like as, as age goes, like I was always a year behind all of my friends. I, you know, especially you and. And then, so whenever we were in Peewees, I was always a team behind you guys because you guys were better than I was. So when you were on the A team, I was on the B team. But, you know, we practiced together and wh- whichever. And then uh, you guys ended up going to state, I think, that year uh, in, in, with Peewee A. And then the, the next year after that, you went right into Bantams. So you're always about maybe uh, a season ahead of me or a year ahead of me that way. So, but yeah, was we never did play together. Not on a team, at least. So, so what was you know? Talk about your journey as a hockey player. You know, we never played together. So, uh, let's take that path, that journey, and talk about because you you made it to college hockey, and you know you, you had some turns and twists where some football was in there. Uh, kind of go from where you you know we started uh, yeah, as kids I mean, and work your way up the ladder. Yeah, as always, you know, kind of the last last guy in the in the chain link, and uh, maybe the guy that was willing to do the things that everybody else wasn't willing to do. And but uh, at the same time, I was a little bit better at football. And as we got through towards the end of high school, I had a a scholarship opportunity to uh, Moorhead State up north, and I uh, thought that might be the end of my hockey. And um, I took advantage of that uh, opportunity and went up there for. A semester and it just wasn't what I thought it was going to be and it wasn't what I wanted it to be and I know that you were you were playing at the U and not that I was trying to be um, next level or division one college hockey player but I just wanted to get it back into my life and I had some opportunities uh, with uh, junior hockey so I um, I finished out the football year up at Moorhead State uh, came I came back I enrolled at St. Cloud State just to finish that school year out, and in the in in the interim, um, started training again for hockey, and um, I was working out with you down at the. Um, trying to think what you guys call that down at the U was it the Iron Den or something like that below the Memorial Stadium, but whatever the dungeon, the dungeon, yep, the dungeon, and then I remember you taking me down there and kind of. You know, training training with me or let you know training with you guys and getting ready to uh, get back on the ice and 
started making some runs at tryouts for junior teams um, down in the USHL, and that worked. And um, I uh, got uh, enrolled in some tryouts for, let's see, the St. Paul Vulcans, the uh, Waterloo Blackhawks, and the Rochester Mustangs, North Iowa Huskies, and then the final team, all of those teams cut me. And then the final team I got connected with was the Des Moines Buccaneers. And I was able to uh, get on that team uh, for a year. And um, it was one of the best experiences of my life playing down in the USHL. It wasn't looked at it. That league wasn't looked at as it is now. Um, like it's a predominant league to generate college players and now pro players as your boy Rem and um, Rhett have experienced. But it was an awesome time in my life. And uh, I did, I got a little bit better, but it was always going to be where if I wanted to keep playing hockey, it was going to probably be a Division Three opportunity. And um, we took that uh, we took that next step after I left Des Moines. Um, I, I enrolled at Augsburg College and um, began my college career there. And uh, you and I lived together uh, for a year, and um, that was that was a great part of my life. I loved I loved playing. Uh, down in junior and I, I loved playing in college probably more than junior just the whole experience was just awesome so yeah I have nothing but good uh, good memories there and then the time comes to end the hockey career and then some other some other things came into my life that I'm sure you'll lead into but uh, yeah just uh, hockey's given me so much as far as friendships and things like that and then yours and mine so yeah that's kind of where I'm at with that so when when you were done playing hockey, and that's not part of your life anymore. Was was that a difficult transition for you? Because I know, like, when my career ended, um, I mean, they have stats that say that it takes, like, two years to figure out how you're going to fit into the world. And, you know, that's something that you – it's been a part of your life uh, since you were a kid, and now it's gone. Was that a difficult transition yeah, uh, it it wasn't at first because I was trying to be a tough guy and say it's over, but um, no, it sat with me and it it uh, it pushed my life in another direction that wasn't all that positive. Um, when I had uh, enrolled back at Augsburg, I was I enrolled as a 21 year old freshman because of the time I'd spent down in juniors. So when I was done playing, I was in my mid 20s and didn't really know where to go <laughs> go after that and. Uh, I guess what happens then for my life is I, I meet all of the right people that direct me to do the wrong things, and I have a another another uh, life experience that's coming my way that's gonna um, change change probably the course of my life for the next ten years, and I um I got connected into or I got I got connected to some people that were. Um, around a lot of drugs and alcohol and that was uh that's something that uh that i that i got into and um i was just looking at my phone and i um but i'll i'll, I'll say that in a second but so i got into that lifestyle um where i was trying to keep hockey in my life it wasn't it just wasn't there i was frustrated i couldn't believe i had to actually go get a job and work for a living that uh the next level wasn't going to be there for me um, where you went. and But I think there are dreams that, that people have to have, and then they have to realize that 
you know, something is going to change whether you like it or not, and we have to make the adjustment. I just made the adjustment a lot later than I should have. Um, what I mean by that is I got hung up in that uh, drug and alcohol world for about another 12 years. Um, and then when I was 38, I met uh, my now wife, Kim, and uh, still battling that addiction for another two years. And I was 40. I finally uh, made the choice to, um, to get clean and sober. And that choice was almost made for me. Um, one, one evening I was doing some of the things that I had been doing, drinking and drugs. And, um, I think I uh, laid down, uh, to die because I, I felt like I was overdosed. And the next morning I woke up and, um, I realized I was alive. And the, ne the next thing I did was I made a phone call to my business partner. We were running a mortgage company at the time and told him that I won't be available. I'm, I need to get help. Started making some phone calls, uh, got connected with a recovery group called Celebrate Recovery. And um, at this point right now, that was 14 years, 256. So that's how long I've been clean and sober from that. And, and the after the, the sobriety happened, there's another chapter that I'm sure you'll lead into about what happened to me there. But yeah, so I look back on a lot of that stuff and I'm... Um, I'm thankful for uh, all of the people that I met and um, the time that I did get into to drugs and alcohol because I know I know that we're all kind of have some sort of hurt hang up um, hurt or hang up or addiction that we're we're dealing with at some point of our life and I look back on those people and it was just I surrounded myself with a lot of people that were hurting as well and I needed to find my way out and I eventually did um, but yeah so that's what that is. Yeah, so near-death experience number one. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I chuckle about it just because, you know, it, it, it was bad, but if you, you look at any situation, you know, there's good and bad that can come with it. And, you know, I remember uh, there was a time I was pro and, you know, had, had uh, REM at the time, young REM, and... I think I told you, I said, I don't, I, you can't come around here no more. I don't want you around my, my family. Um, cause it was bad. Um, but you know, you went through the experience and your, your guardian angel, Kim, you know, was the driving force that, you know, was patient enough to give you the opportunity to, to figure some things out. Uh, she's just such a, crazy cool person and human being yeah yeah he, she was literally like uh i know that day i that i had that opportunity that experience where i thought I overdose i called her and she's like i don't know what you want me to do you need to figure this out you know i can't help you get better you need to help yourself and then hung up the phone and uh there was another <laughs> another jolt right there from someone that um i wasn't understanding that cared a lot for me but i wasn't taking it that way because it wasn't something that was easy for me. I wanted her to help me fix it. And uh, she kind of backed away and gave me the drew a line in the sand and said, you got to get this figured out or we can't be together. Similar to, um, you know, what you had said to me and we were just talking about that. I think that conversation might have happened because you had retired yet. And I think we were kind of living by each other uh, over in Plymouth, but I was living by the lake there 
Um, and uh, that conversation was maybe back in 04, 05. I can't pin the date down, but that was something that stuck in my head, but it didn't stick in my head until I actually admitted to myself that I had a problem in 08 uh, on February 22nd of 2008 as I went through my transgression of um, of getting healthy and healing and all these things. And that was one of the things that was buried into my mind. Um, it, it comes... It comes first, and then what Kim said to me comes second. Because uh, the, 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 the further along in the process of uh, sobriety you get, um, clarity comes. Even though the brain injury has taken some of my memory from me for a couple of years, uh, those things never left my mind. So I'm thankful for that. Yeah. So you, you get off the rails, you find your way back, and, uh, you know, you got some important people in your life that uh stuck with you your mom being another one yep um so you kind of you started in the the mortgage business but then you transitioned to a realtor uh you you and kim start fostering dogs so let's kind of move into that segment yeah. to yeah, my sponsor, his name is Jeff, and I'll leave it at that. And that's what we do with um, name recognition and try to protect people's identities. But one of the things that um, came about was Kim and I met over a dog, a rescuing a dog that she had, and I wanted to rescue that dog and, and, and pair that dog with McGrady, and that didn't work because <laughs> that dog, I couldn't fix that dog, and that dog couldn't fix me, so we had to part ways. We got him to another family, but... Um, Kim was in the middle of um, actually a divorce herself, and her and I had become friends, and we were friends for quite a while um, before we we got together. But once we once we did get together, um, her and my sponsor Jeff, uh, I, I was fighting a lot of things, and Jeff would call me out quite a bit, and uh, he would you know there'd be a lot of complaining, a lot of whining on my end. Um, I can't do this. Why do I have to do this? I don't like this, blah, blah, blah. And one of the things that he said is, you know, why don't you start thinking about helping somebody else instead of worrying about yourself all of the time? And that, that was kind of a gut shot because he said that in front of Kim and it was another way to identify how selfish I was being. And so what had happened was he goes, what do you like to do? You know, you like dogs, this and that, whatever. So he goes, why don't you try you know, volunteering at a humane society. So I took that idea. Um, I called every humane society in the area. I just wanted to go and clean kennels and just be around the animals. And, you know, I, we had our own dogs at the time, so we didn't need any more dogs. But um, through that, we just couldn't get anyone to bite on letting us come in and help clean the kennels. They already had their employees. They didn't want anybody uh, to come in and volunteer and things like that. So um, I had a... Uh, I had a client that was helping sell a home. This is as now I'm a real estate agent. Um, and this is in 2009. And he comes to the office and he's got his dog with him. And he said he's on his way to put his dog down because he can't keep his dog because the house he's selling, he's moving into an apartment. And I go, you're not putting the dog down. I'm taking the dog. And that dog, I uh, was a uh, golden, uh, it was a golden retriever. And that dog's name was... Um, miles and i took that dog and then i showed up at the house and kim goes what's with the dog and i go we're starting our own dog rescue organization 
and we just kind of dove in. Um, and what was happening is, is that was when the financial crisis happened in 08, 09, 10, or 10 and 11, where people were giving up their houses to get to another place. But the, what they were doing is they were actually leaving their pets. So we were taking dogs and we started our own dog rescue organization. And um, through that, him and I had, uh, we had moved 57 dogs from a bad situation to their forever home. Uh, we had a number of people that were helping foster dogs and we were just kind of, you know, it was what we were doing. I didn't know any more than that. And um, wow. one of the dogs, <coughs> excuse me, one of the dogs that we got, um, his name was his Buster at the time. He was a pit bull that uh, we got a call that um, the dog was in a fight ring. It was a, a dog of a mentally challenged person and the family was abusing the dog. And uh, hang on a second, I gotta take a sip of water. <coughs> and they wanted to know if we would take the dog. And I was terrified of pit bulls. So, of course, Kim said, let's do it. And we do it. And we picked this dog up, and he was just a beautiful dog. He was a white and brindle colored uh, pit bull. That was name was Buster. And I, we just didn't like that name. But I remember when I. When I got that dog in our truck, I was terrified of that dog, and I had my gear in the truck still. So I put my my old hockey gloves on to protect me in case the <laughs> dog was going to bite me. And Kim was like, what are you doing? And she goes, you need to get your energy right with this dog. And if you do, this dog is going to be okay. And so we didn't know what we were going to do with this dog. We took it home. I still had my hockey gloves on. And then the next thing you know, it's our dog. And uh, we changed his name to Jeffrey, and uh, we did aggressive dog training with that dog, uh, with one of our dog trainers for almost 18 months to try to get him okay with, you know, being around other dogs, which was never going to happen. He lived in a closet for 20 hours a day, and then he was a bait dog for, for dog fighting. But he did like, he got along with our, our other dogs, Mac and Chase, and uh, Corey and Sadie, all these, we had four other dogs at the time and then Buddy, our Basset Hound. So Kim and I are kind of known as the dog hoarders, but, um, I, uh, I love that dog. And then one day, um, me and McGrady and, and, uh, and, and Jeffrey went for a rollerblade. It was in April, um, on a, April 10th of 2012. And I never came back. Um, I don't remember what happened, but the police report states that, the dog had got behind me, Jeffrey. He was on a, on a, an, ex, an extended an extension leash. He had got behind me. He saw another dog and it tripped me, rollerblading. And I fell backwards and hit my head, and 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 then now starts the next part of my life, maybe, right? Um, and so by falling, I uh, ended up, you know, experiencing a traumatic brain injury. Um, they brought me down to Regents Hospital. Somebody found out what happened, called the police. Um, police showed up. The ambulance got me down to Regents Hospital in St. Paul. And then they induced me into a coma right away. And this is information that I have from Kim and my mom and things like that. But uh, nobody knew where I was that whole day. And Kim got a call from, I don't know if it was the hospital or my assistant at the office that Chris hasn't come back yet, whatever, and they heard he's at the hospital. And then Kim, 
you know, knowing how I played hockey, thought maybe I broke a, an arm or a, 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 a hand, whatever. Something happened to me where I broke something. And it turned out that, uh, yeah, I broke my head. And um, so that was, that was, um, it's a blur, I guess. You were involved with it. You were there. You were there a lot of the days I was there. But it was 65 days I was in the hospital. Uh, I think I, they had me induced into a coma for 33 days, 32 or 33 days. Um, I think seven days into my stay in the hospital, they had to do a cranectomy and remove part of my skull. Um, to let my brain swell. Um, I was on a ventilator that entire time. And then one day I woke up and started my uh, started my therapy, which I was uh, a pain in the neck uh, to everybody that uh, saved my life. Uh, my apology <laughs> to on you. One sec- Hold on one second. So yeah. uh, we'll pick up from there. But that, you know, you... You described the, that experience um, and everything that happened, you know, being there with your mom, with your family, with Kim. Uh, I was there a lot, and it it was something I had never experienced before because, you know, you're not the only person that is coming in with a brain injury, and there would be p- people coming in, um, and then family would be coming in to support that person and that person didn't walk out of that hospital. Uh, so we experienced that a number of times, just hanging out with you. And then I remember it wasn't, it wasn't clear, you know, what, what was going to happen with you, but my business partner, Paul up in Canada, uh, his wife was, uh, you know, at the end of the stage of, you know, losing her battle with cancer. Uh, so I wanted to go up there and, and say goodbye. So I had to leave you and your mom and Kim. And that was that was difficult because <laughs> death hadn't been, you know, near death, whatever you want to call it. That hadn't been really close to me. It, it really still isn't. Um, but uh, that that you that experience shook me. And I know that it shook you because, you know, you 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 recover from that after a long, uh, you know, physical therapy rehab and all that, uh, to the point like when you when you started, I mean, you and I we have a passion for fishing, but you couldn't fish. You mean you could barely talk and move stuff. But um, talk about how when you you started getting uh, back to where you're feeling like okay, I got a second shot here. What happened then? A quick word from our sponsor, Sniper's Edge Hockey. Sniper's Edge Hockey is your one-stop shop for your at-home hockey training needs on and off the ice. Find the perfect start to your at-home training area with slick tiles, synthetic ice, or a rink liner. Or upgrade your home setup with one of our top quality training tools to help you work on soft hands, all of your deeks and dangles, perfect your one-timer, and improve the power and accuracy of your shot. Find it all online and in stock for immediate shipping at snipersedgehockey.com. Well, there's a, there's a couple of funny things that you kept doing to me and bugging me and doing some of that stuff that you did when we were kids. But I know you told me that you were going to be leaving. And um, you when you came back, where before you left, you were doing these videos. And you, I think, was it Robotized Picture? I think. I don't no, know. It was Mal- Malkin. Malkin. 
Malkin, Malkin. Yeah, yeah, you did you did like a little a face a puppet you made on a video, and then you cut the mouth out, so it was your mouth talking, and you were you were threatening me to if I didn't do the the physical therapy that you were going to come and you were going to let me have it, and I don't mean let me have it like <laughs> let me have lunch. You were going to let me have one across the chin. Um, so I remember I remember that, and I remember you know don't make me come back here. I remember I and then those were the funny things that. Um, I can remember I'm like asking uh, Kim, like, when's Lance coming back with the videos? And then I didn't know that you were gone. Uh, but then all of a sudden you came back and you were you were in the hospital again with me. And um, you would just show up at these weird hours at like four o'clock in the morning or be at the foot of my bed peeking over, you know, and like staring at me, like making me uncomfortable. Like, hey, what's up? And then all of a sudden you're <laughs> gone. Um, so there was always that, I don't know, that comedy I think is what what helped. And I know Kim had a hard time through all of that. I was super difficult. I wouldn't eat. I didn't want to take any of the medication because of, you know, me being sober and the pain and all of these things. But we inched through it. Um, I get out um, of, hosp- of the hospital. I had pretty severe drop foot. My balance was off and I would lost kind of the use of my left hand and my left arm. That... It, just my extension, right? I mean, I could move my arm. It wasn't like it was, you know, uh, un, unusable. But there, they did a lot of therapy on me and things like that. And I think part of my recovery was the fact that, you know, if I wouldn't have been sober, if I wouldn't have been clean from drugs and alcohol, my brain would have had too many hot spots on it. I would have been able to recover. I wouldn't have been able to get through the surgeries um, that they, they did on me. And then in, in turn... Um, be ready to take on the next part of my life where, you know, I've got to figure out how to kind of walk again. And I don't mean like out of a wheelchair. It wasn't that, but I just didn't have my balance. Um, I had vertigo when I was in the hospital and things like that. So I've got all these experiences now behind me. And I think hard work is uh, something that never left me. The, the, the addiction part of my life, if I wasn't um, that hardworking mentality, that grinding mentality, or the, like we talk about, um, um, the grit. I know that you've talked about that in a lot of your um, uh, podcasts that I've listened to. I think I have grit. Uh, I think I do, uh, but it's not for me to say. Uh, I think that's for someone to say about me, but I think if I didn't have some sort of grit, I wouldn't have been able to get through that process of it and then inch my way through um, my recovery, and my recovery is every day, and it has been uh, going forward, and that, that accident was 10 years plus now ago and I've had uh, one see I had a seizure I had a grand mal seizure in December 2012 on Kim's birthday because they didn't have my seizure medicine set right so there's another little configuration to my life I get to deal with every day but they got my medicine set right I'm on seizure medicine it's about my life is about trying to be positive um, deal with negative situations and not let it get cut you up inside Um, some days I let it um, I'm not, you know, by far my means I'm not even close to perfect, but every day I have to wake up now and I have to think I need to be seizure free. Um, so I've got a couple things going on every day where, um, if I'm not, if I'm not focused on myself to start my day, I don't have a good day. And that was one of the things I didn't really take, uh, take into account during my, uh, part of my life where I was about um, my addiction and things like that. So, 
you know, my mornings are about my workouts. Yoga has been in my life now for almost six years. Um, learning how to meditate right now. Um, we talked about books and things like that. I went through high school. I went through college with dyslexia. And I am, yeah, it sounds like I'm the full full package here. But we had, you had shared with me something about a guy that, you know, when he started reading books, like one sentence at a time, one paragraph at a time, all of a sudden he read 50 books in a year. And I had to figure out a way that, you know, getting information into my mind was going to be through audible books. Um, so I'm just constantly looking for a little bit of a seam to jump through or slide through or into to make my mind better, to keep working my mind and, and growing those, you know, re, um, what do you want to say? Um, letting my mind reheal, I guess, constantly. So, constantly. So I think, like last year, I just told you that, I don't know why I never told you that, but last year I was able to consume 56 books uh, in one year. And there any, any book title from, you know, uh, mental health to uh, physical healing to sports books about wins and losses and how they got through hard times and then books on yoga, books on meditation, things like that. So one book will lead to another book and then I just check it out, start listening to it. And um, But it's been... It's been a journey where it's been forcing me to go slower, and uh, through doing that, I've been able to consume more information. My life is never what I thought it would be, and I mean that in a positive way. I have an unbelievable life, and then um, after after the I start to heal from the brain injury, um, then comes post traumatic stress that I guess I got diagnosed with that I forgot about, and bipolarism was in the in the in the horizon and suicide thoughts and things like that um so they want you to be aware of all these things that come about and um i did have suicide thoughts i wrote down 113 suicide thoughts because just like the recovery for drugs and alcohol it's like do what people that have been successful do and you'll grind through it and you'll get to the other side so i dealt with that um the post-traumatic stress was something that was such a high anxiety for me and I was afraid of it was I was afraid of everything and everybody and I ended up kind of shutting down for about two years although I did run my real estate business it wasn't the best but I ran it and in 2014 well in 2013 I started coming back up to Ontario where we are currently in fishing at Lake of the Woods and I forgot uh, I thought I forgot how to drive to Canada. I forgot how to. I thought I forgot how to use my boat. I, I thought I forgot how to fish, but I had some awesome people, you know, coach me up and support me, and it, it, it was able to kind of reconnect for me right off the bat. And then I started coming up here weeks at a time, and uh, Kim would ask me where I'm at, and I'm like, I gotta go. I'm up fishing. I took my dog McGrady, and we and her came up here, and we started building. Uh, a mental state that was really positive and really good and then I was coming back each time I came back home from being up here for a week or two at a time I was a little bit more less reluctant to be around people um, to, to go out uh, and then in, in 2014 I had uh, finally caught a, a, a muskie I'd been chasing for about 10 years and I called Kim from the water my phone came in and she said just uh, just stay up there as long as you need to. I've got an idea for you or for us 
on what's happening to you when you come back, you're starting to get better. And um, her idea was to maybe reach out to veterans that were struggling with post-traumatic stress disorder is what they called it back then. Um, and maybe offer them to take them fishing as a uh, thank you for what they do and did for our country. Uh, because the nurse in ICU that I had, this is going to backtrack to my accident, was a Gulf War medic, and his name was Fred. And he never would go fishing with me because he said it was a conflict of interest. He just did his job, and he was happy that I was living my, my best life or trying to, and then that was enough for him. So I'm every time we're taking someone fishing, I'm thinking of that person the nurses, the doctors, the surgeons that put me back together through the two surgeries. Um, and then uh, now comes time on the water. So so you, Kim gives you the suggestion that, you know, maybe you start taking people out fishing. I don't know if it was defined as, you know, military veterans, but I think the main thing was anyone that was suffering with, you know, something to do with, with the brain, you know, post-traumatic, uh, stuff like that. So here we are, uh, 2022 and you got a little nonprofit called time on the water. Uh, talk about from, you know, lead us up to when Kim suggested that to where you are today. Yeah. So Kim, at that point, we, we were not married and we had been together for a few years and, um, she had said that we, I could not deal with dog rescue anymore because of the stuff that happens to the animals. And it's just, it's too much for my mind to deal with. And it caused, I, we just talked about it. It said it's, it's a potential seizure opportunity for me to have one because I get so enthralled in it. Um, so what we did is we replaced the dog rescue uh, with taking out uh, military veterans that had struggled with post-traumatic stress. And uh, we were all excited to head into this was kind of in the fall of 2014 that we were kind of putting this or mapping this out, and you were part of that. And I remember we do our uh, our fall fishing at your cabin, who which we just moved for you um, up in uh, Wisconsin at Bone Lake. So I would come on and meet you up there. You said to come up and and uh, you wanted to fish. Well, I showed up to the to the house at the, at the dock, and Lisa comes out and says that he's out on the water. And I'm like, what, he couldn't wait for me? And he was like, I know, he just said to meet you out on the water. Well, anyways, I headed to the spot you were at, and I guess I guess we're such close friends, Lance, that we love to fish together so much that we had to fish in separate boats that day for whatever reason. I wasn't sure. But when I remember when we were talking about <laughs> about uh, this idea, and you know how I, I'll just I, – I use this as a – it's a funny thing sometimes for me, but the addict personality in me, like I get amped up. And I thought I had fixed myself when post-traumatic stress with this fishing idea. And I remember talking to you in the boat and you're trying to calm me down. Let's go throw some, let's go throw some baits and talk about up there. And I'm like, no, no, I want to talk about this right now. And you're like, you got to find somebody or another another way to find people to support your idea. So it's not coming out of your pocket. And uh, well, again, it takes me a little bit of time because of the brain injury, and maybe it was like that before, but uh, I didn't pay attention to that. So 2015 comes, and I'm all in uh, with time on the water. 
Uh, that's the name of our uh, nonprofit now. But that 2015 season was uninsured, underfunded, uh, 38 veterans up to Lake of the Woods on my own. And I was exhausted. And uh, there was a little bit of I told you so from both you and Kim. More from Kim than you. Maybe vice versa. I don't know. Um, but at that point, uh, it was like, this is a great idea, but you can't do it like this anymore. You have to get back to work. Your real estate business need, needs you. Uh, you need it. Let's see if we can kind of m merge this idea of time on the water and and, and, and your real estate business to uh, to move forward with your recovery uh, from your from your injury. And um, so that's what we did. And we became a full fledged nonprofit um, in uh, February of 2016. Uh, we're a 501c3. We've had a couple changes in the in the team in the team uh, in the players on the team. And where we are right now today, uh, we've had um, 350 heroes on the water. Um, some in, in Minnesota, some in Wisconsin, some in North Dakota, some in South Dakota, but a, a, a big chunk of those of those heroes have been uh, taken up to where we are today, Lance, uh, Lake of the Woods and Sioux Narrows, Ontario, at the lodge we're staying at, uh, Motlong Camp, Rod and Reel. And um, it's, it's, it's been an unbelievable journey. It's, it's tiring. Um, it's exhausting. Um, we, we do all the fundraising internally. Uh, my my partners now or my the board members on our nonprofit are are uh, uh, Mike Farrell and uh, uh, he's not a veteran. He's a pro fishing guide. He did try to get into the military and the Navy, but he was not allowed to do to go any further because of some medical issues. And then our new board member that we just we just brought on, Katie Lavander. She's a nurse uh, currently. Um, and also, she's a she's a form she's a veteran as well. Uh, she was a medic in the army, and with without these two people here, we're you know we, we don't we're not running at the at the pace that we're running at right now. We've got a number of volunteers that we've had, and that we still have. Um, I have a close friend of mine, Tim Rogers. He's a Navy veteran. Another guy, uh, Bud Haney, is a walleye guy. Um, uh, Travis Tudhill's helped us out. He's a he's a current Current military uh, person, I believe he's in the Navy. Uh, if I'm wrong there, I don't I don't see him a whole lot, but he does help us periodically. Uh, another guy, B.J. Brent, he's a teacher uh, down in Anoka. And then we've got a Canadian uh, potential um, helper, uh, Kate Pollock, and she's a paramedic up in Winnipeg. She's a good friend of ours. She's been helping us out on some trips. But what we do is we've um, put this uh, program together, this uh, this nonprofit together where we're thanking all of the people in the world or in, in in that we can run into that make us as civilians safer and better uh as people so you've got military um active um veteran national guard reserve whatever um law enforcement firefighters healthcare workers and then of course teachers um and i think what we're doing is we're not trying to um we're not trying to buy anything from anybody. We're not trying to trick anybody. We're just at this point right now. It's so far past my accident, and so far past like you know, directing our focus on someone that has post-traumatic stress. We're just trying to acknowledge these groups of people for 
uh, what they do to make our country better and our community safer. And um, through that, um, we, we do, uh, we're exclusive to the seven to 10 day trips. Uh, we don't do one, two, three day trips where people are in and out. Um, these heroes get a chance to kind of, just like our mission statement says, they get a chance to reflect and then share some camaraderie. And I know between you and I, um, I think hockey has given me one of the things I think that if you were to ask us in separate um, separate times and separate rooms and separate days, what, what do we miss most? I'm going to guess that it's the locker room um, for you because yeah. it is for me. And um, I know that that camaraderie is a lot with the military, the nurses that we've had on our trips, what they've dealt with with COVID coming last couple years for sure the teachers with all the things they have to deal with and always always law enforcement firefighters so it's 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 kind of a one and done we're just acknowledging people for what they do to make us better and um we're we're just we're, we're making a uh trying to make an impact one hero at a time and uh that's that's kind of what what time on the water is and i'm i'm a better person for it for for you know, being a part of it, right? So, yeah. It's, uh, you know, what was interesting for me, Chris, was you had been doing this. I mean, I, I was on my own deal. I got two kids. I'm into coaching. I'm building uh, a couple businesses. So other than seeing you a couple times a year, maybe to go fishing, you know, we would chat, you know, once a month on the phone or text, but I never, you know, saw what you were building until uh, I fished in the tournament that you put on uh, on St. Croix Falls, uh, uh, the, the river. Uh, and to see you interact with these veterans, uh, I'm really good at what I do, teaching stick handling stuff, but... What would you? What I saw that first day in that boat with those veterans, I was like, "Holy cow, Chris! That is impressive!" And it's I'm just so grateful to be a part of it and to be up here. This is another first for me. Has never been to to Sioux Narrows Rod and Reel here, where you bring the veterans. Uh, I mean, it's a magical place that they have here, and what you're doing, Chris, is is incredible. And I just I tip my hat to you. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, that that tournament, um, Vet and the Croix was what that was called. That was in 18. And in 15, in 2015, when I was doing this by my, you know, I just where we weren't a nonprofit, I had a chance to go and do an NHL alumni um, event uh, with the Warrior Hockey team up in Isanti, Minnesota. I was supposed to go deer hunting for the first time, and I chose not to. And then there's my connection to the alumni. And that's where I met Brad Maxwell and Steve Payne from the North Stars. And they're interested in the, as far as the alumni, which you are a part of, right? And there's a lot of alumni guys in town. And you give what you can, when you can, because um, you've always been getting pulled in every direction to show up to this golf tournament or that golf tournament or, or whatever. I, I know it because I have been your friend for that long right um but i know it was weird when those guys uh maybe approached me at the event and said they wanted to kind of get involved and i'm like what's their angle and their angle was is 
you know, they're all kind of like-minded. Like, I, no matter, you know, I, I don't know what people think of guys in the NHL, you know, but, I mean, a lot of it is I, I know how you were raised because I was your friend. And it, it's just some of the some of the things that people think of what you guys as NHL players are, if they knew a little bit more of the deeper information, like the caregiving that you guys do, um, it's unbelievable. And so it was never, when those guys came in, you were already in, and you just hap- we just happened to be friends. But I know that when they would want to come to the fishing tournaments, uh, they, they helped me set that up. Um, and it's, it was one way to get kind of a celebrity, I don't know what you would say, a, a, a bullet point on our advertising where celebrities that were going to be there were going to be some local NHLers, including yourself and Brad and Steve and those guys. And one, one funny story was we would do their golf tournament every year. And, um, then Paulie Norman at all-star sports would letter up all the North star jerseys for me. And we'd try to auction those off and sell them. And then I remember couple years ago I just said you know what I'm going all in on this and I and I know you were drafted by the stars but uh I had my number put on it my name put on it and it was hanging there and I know Brad was walking down he grabbed me he goes what's this and I go what's what he goes what's with the jersey what are you doing he goes you, you didn't you didn't play and then I remember Steve came and he goes ah who cares we're all so old now maybe he did play we played one game and he got traded to Omaha and uh so it's <laughs> kind of one of those Funny things, and you know the hockey community. Whether you played um, at, at the level you played at, or where I played at, or whatever, it's like you think there's a certain group. I think most of us are that. You know, we were raised that way. Like, let's take care of each other, and that's really what time on the water is. Um, so the NHL alumni doesn't make or break um, time on the water. It's just really a nice kind of extra thing showcasing how deep and how far the reach can go for um, for these heroes that we want to have on the water. I mean, I know you've been on the boat with me with some guys and, you know, it's just, it's, it's just another little thing to, to, to talk about um, how many people do care about these people that make our country and our communities better and safer. You know, we're, we're just, we're all so grateful for them. So. Um, yeah. It's so cool. Uh you know, when we go on our trips, we do two trips. We go to uh, a place up in Saskatchewan, Wollaston Lake Lodge. That's our our five star trip, and then now this is going to be an annual coming up here yeah. to Rod and Reel. Um, you know, the one thing that I uh, I've I've seen with you, and I know it's it's just such a challenge because there's only so many hours in a day is you want to provide these experiences for for the heroes uh at no cost to them uh and you know trying to to raise money for these trips is is very difficult so uh i know there's times that uh you know people are asking for for help and donations time money but you know we're, we're so busy but if 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 someone listened to this and said, you know what, uh, I want to throw a little solid over to time on the water and Chris and everyone, uh, how can they do that, Chris? Oh, I know that, like, Mike, Mike, my partner, Katie, my partner, every opportunity that we can get out in front of people, whether it's through 
this platform, which you're, you know, providing for us, and it's to tell a story to maybe help somebody down the road. But, you know, we're, we got to talk about the trips aren't, they're free and they're at no cost to the heroes, but there is a cost to put the trips together. Um, so, yeah, we run off donations, and Mike, Katie, and myself, and some of the other volunteers do raise all the money, and it's a lot of work. Um, so if someone was looking to, you know, find out more about what we do before they made a decision on uh, pulling the trigger on making a donation, all you got to do is you go to our website. It's timeonthewatermn.com, uh, and just follow the link. There's a donate. Uh, there's a donate tab up top, and there's a there's a couple ways that you can donate. You can donate um, bait for the day. You can donate fuel for the day. You can donate water for the day. Um, a, a veterans trip. Uh, I mean, it's it. I'll just say this: it costs a hundred thousand dollars to do this to do this nonprofit and make it run the way that it runs. We do uh, seven to seven to eight trips. They're they're seven to ten day excursions. So I've got people taking time off of work uh, to make these happen for people. Um, so what we do is we just push every month, no matter if it's in season or an out season. And I mean, talking about fishing season, but we tried to uh, isolate, like, what does the money go for? And if anybody would want to know what it costs for to put a hero on a trip, it's $750 is what it costs to do a weekly trip for each hero. Um, not that that has to be the donation, but those are the costs. And so, but if you look on the website, there's a page there that identifies, you know, what you could support, whether it be, again, bait, fuel, water, a meal, um, equipment, things like that. And uh, you can make the main choice and any donation is uh, appreciated uh, no matter what the amount is. And if there's someone out there that is a hero that's listening to this, we've got, um, we've got heroes from all over the country coming on our trips or trying to find out about us. Um, we, we try to focus on Minnesota um, and Wisconsin uh, just because that's where we're, we live. Uh, Iowa too, like the, the five state region. Um, but we've got, we've had heroes from every, every part. So we've had some from Virginia, uh, Florida, uh, San Diego, um, Texas, name it. I mean, not, not all 50 states, but we have people that are from Minnesota that live elsewhere. They talk about it and they've got, they've got heroes that want to take part in what we're doing. And, uh, the one thing about our program is, we're not a large group. Um, the trips are not large groups of people. So you become a number. It's an, it's an intimate trip. We try to put one guide for one hero. So if we've got our, our biggest trips are going to be 12 to 14 people. That means we're going to have five to six guides. And then we're going to pepper in those heroes to each, each, each boat. So one boat might have two people periodically, but it's meant to be small, intimate, and people to get to know each other, talk about similar experiences. And again, like I said, reflect and um, share camaraderie. Uh, I think it's just, and that's a, that's a new, uh, new mission statement that we've come up with with uh, a consultant we're working with out of, uh, out of California. His name's Jared Sinclair. He's a vet too. And, and throw throw some props out to that guy because he's helping us restructure, reorganize, and really bring this thing to the next level. Um, not as far as size per se, but as far as impact. And um, 
yeah, so I think uh, I think that's it. That might have been more than what you wanted to hear, but that's what I said. <laughs> well, I'll make sure that I put the the link to the website, Time on the Water, uh, in the, the description. And for all of you out there listening, uh, like Chris said, every little bit helps them. Um, and every dollar that is donated is going to have an impact on the experience for these military veterans, first responders, police and fire, as well as teachers and healthcare workers. So thank you, Chris, for everything that, that you're doing. Uh, pretty awesome. And it, it's been quite the journey for you and I, but yeah. uh, our relationship has never been uh, as solid as it's been for for a number of years now. So uh, thank you for all you do for all that you do. And if there's anything that I can do to to help you continue to grow time on the water and improve the experiences for these heroes, please don't hesitate to ask. Uh, I appreciate you being here and sharing your story, Chris. Yup, I appreciate you having me on. I know JoJo and I are. Uh... At the lodge with you here, she's sleeping on some pillows right now under a blanket. She's a little cold from being in the water this morning, but uh, yeah, it was a great, uh, great time being on your show, and uh, I can't wait to see what comes of it. Awesome! All right, man, we got to uh, get out fishing one more time here before we leave. So, uh, thanks for being here, and uh, I'll see you on the boat. See ya. Well, that concludes another episode of the Hockey Journey podcast. I hope you enjoyed the Chris Hansen Time on the Water Hockey Journey, and a journey it was. If you're looking for a way to feel really good about yourself and help a hero as well, please go visit timeonthewatermn.com and make your donation today. Lastly, if you think there's someone in your circle of family and friends that might like this episode as well, please share it with just one person. It will really help me in growing this hockey community. Again, I appreciate you being here. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, or submit a review. I hope to see you back here soon. And do me a favor, make someone close to you smile today. All the best, my friends.